Welcome to the Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast, where today we will be listening to this week's sermon by Pastor Brent Russell. Well, we have been working our way through a series titled The Churches of Revelation. Jesus appeared to the Apostle John and, and gave a direct message to each of the seven churches. And I think we have seen that in speaking to them, Jesus is also speaking to us. Today we take a look at the church in Pergamum. Now, Pergamum was the capital city of, of the province of Asia. And it was large, and it was influential. It was a beautiful city. Um, we talked about Ephesus. Ephesus was kind of a center of trade. If Ephesus uh, is compared to New York City, then Pergamum would be compared to Washington, D.C. Or if Ephesus, if you compared it to Toronto, Pergamum would be Ottawa. Um, the city sported three major temples, um, one dedicated to Zeus, one dedicated to Caesar Augustus, and one, another temple dedicated to a serpent god named Archalypsus. And he was considered the god of healing, and so a lot of people would journey to Pergamum to look for uh, cures for what, they, what ailed them. Pergamum was the home to the second largest library in the world at that time, only second to the great library at Alexandria. They had 200,000 books in it, which is quite the accomplishment, considering that every book had to be written by hand. Um, in many ways, it was an educated city. Jesus, when he talks about the city, he doesn't mention any of these things. He speaks to Pergamum and says, he says, the remarkable thing about the city of Pergamum, according to Jesus, is that this is the place where Satan has his throne. It is the city where Satan lives. That can't be good, right? Revelation 2, verse 13. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, uh, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city. Where Satan lives? Um, I don't know all of what it means that Satan had his throne. It may have been referring to what was happening in the temples. It may have been referring to the practice of the occult that was one running rampant in the city. He may have been referring to the idolatry that was prevalent. We're not sure. But he is saying to Satan, or he is saying to the church in Pergamum, you live next door to Satan. Encouraging, right? I have a, a friend who visits churches right across Canada, uh, and he tells me that it doesn't matter what town or city you go to, uh, some people from that will play, say, well, this is a dark and oppressed place. So they, they say that no matter where, where you go. Um, well, Pergamum really was a dark and oppressed place. Uh, can you imagine uh, Satan, uh, Jesus saying, Satan has his throne in your town? Not encouraging. But note the expectation of Jesus. Even though these Christians were, were living in the same city as Satan, even though they were living where Satan had his throne, 
The expectation was that they could and would be followers of Jesus, even in that place. Jesus' expectation was that they could live for, uh, live for him, even though they're a stone's throw from hell. That's Jesus' expectation. We live in a world that seems to be moving closer to the evil one every day. We hear of heinous acts almost every week. This week it was the gunman who shut up the, shot up the elementary school in Texas. Um, it was civilians targeted by Russian soldiers in the Ukraine war. Our world seems to be advancing technologically and declining morally. We live in a world where the things that God has called good are seen as bad, and the things that God has called bad seen as good. And whenever that happens, our, our world takes one more step towards uh, the throne of the evil one. But the expectation of Jesus for his people is that even though they live next door to the throne of Satan, we're called to follow Jesus. We're called to live our lives for Jesus. We're called to imitate Jesus in holiness and in righteousness. The world has changed a lot in the last 20 years. 20 years ago, Google was a startup company. YouTube didn't exist. Facebook didn't exist. Websites were static. Uh, now many of us find it hard to live without the internet because we get everything from our maps to mail through the internet. And there are a lot of upsides to the internet right now. Some of you who are unable to attend are, are watching online right now because of the internet. Awesome. There are some significant downsides to the internet as well. These are the there are the kind of things that, well, the internet has a way of placing us right next door to the throne of Satan. Everything from extremist ideologies to pornography to illicit affairs can, can be found in the internet. And in some ways, because the internet is not far from us, we are like the people of Pergamum. We're beside th Satan's throne. It's a short walk to, from where we are to where Satan reigns. And the expectation of Jesus is that though we live next door to Satan's throne, we'd follow Jesus. We'd live for Jesus. Notice how Jesus introduces himself, verse 13, to the angel of the church in Pergamum, right? These are the words of him who has a sharp double-edged sword. Jesus describes himself as as who has a sharp double-edged sword. In chapter 1, uh, in that great vision of Jesus that John the Apostle had, the sword is coming out of his mouth. And that's true just as we go down chapter 2, just to, to verse 16, we see the sword coming out of his mouth. Jesus shows that this part of his character, because where Pergamum is located, they need to know about the power of the words of Jesus. Especially true when you're living right, living right next door to, Jesus, or to Satan. Book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 12 says, 
The Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It, it penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. When you put together that together with the characteristics that Jesus is emphasizing about himself, you get the, the words coming out of Jesus' mouth. They're alive. They're active. They cut to the core issues. They judge our thoughts. They judge our, our attitudes. And Jesus was saying to the people in Pergamum, you need to be reminded of the power of my word. I want to come back to that a little bit more, but um, let's take a look at, at the church in Pergamum. Look what Jesus commands them for. Verse 13, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. It's obvious that the church has experienced persecution. They've been pressured into denying Jesus, and yet they have been true to him. When one of them, Antipas, was martyred, they did not back down. They remain true to his name. Can you imagine having one of our members killed for their faith? Let's say this week, Kevin was martyred for his faith. Sorry to throw you under the bus, Kevin, but hey. Um, uh, you know, you'd have a choice, right? Am I going to still follow Jesus? Am I going to still be part of the church? People of the church said, yeah, yeah, we're going to still follow Jesus. Even though one of their, their members was killed. They remained true to the name of Jesus. So, we're not talking about a lukewarm, uncommitted bunch of people. They've counted the cost. They're willing to risk their lives to follow Jesus. They're the kind of people that, that, would look, that we would look at and call heroes. Some ways they are. But look at what Jesus says to them, verse 14. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Jesus says, I have this against you, you hold to the teaching of Balaam. You hold to the teaching of Nicolaitans. You're holding to their teaching. You're holding to bad theology. Wait, wait a second, Jesus. Okay. These people have faced down lions in your name. Uh, they've had one of their members killed. They've not denied their name. That yet you're going to criticize their theology? Really? What's up with that? There's a couple of things that you need to know that the church of Pergamum didn't seem to. Wrong belief seems to lead to wrong action many times. We'll look at that in a moment. But the, the other thing that Jesus knows is that when you're living next door to Satan, Satan's power is the power of the lie. And so if you believe wrong, it has a way of binding you up. 
Jesus was speaking to people who were looking for ways to kill him. Notice what Jesus says about Satan. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Listen to who, who the devil is. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. He is a liar and the father of lies. Satan's a liar. And when you believe lies, you give power, you give Satan power over you. Jesus knew the church in Pergamum was committed to him, um, but they were buying into some lies. They were going to let Satan run amok in their life. Jesus mentions two examples of bad theology. They're holding to the teaching of Balaam, and they're holding to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. We don't know anything about the teaching of the Nicolaitans. So I'm going to talk, uh, I'm not going to comment on them. But we have a good idea what Balaam taught. His story is found in, in Numbers chapter 22 to 25. See, Balaam was a prophet of God. Balak, the, the Moabite king, wanted to have him curse Israel because the king was worried that Israel was going to overrun Moab. So he calls Balaam to himself. and He says, if you curse them, I'll, I'll pay you a lot of money. I'm going, to, I'm going to make you rich. All you need to do is curse them, right? Um, so he comes and he says, well, Balak, I can only say what, what God has told me to say. And so they go up and they overlook the Israelites and the Moabite king is expecting Balaam to curse the uh, the Israelites, and God puts words in Balaam's mouth, and he blesses the Israelites. Moabite king is ticked off. So he says, well, maybe if we go to a different place, it'll, it'll be different. So he goes up into another place where they can look over him, and uh, uh, looking for Balaam to curse them, and Balaam blesses them. And this happens again and again. Um... Balaam knew that he could only speak the words of God in prophecy. But he also knew what God didn't like. So, so he couldn't curse them. But he wanted a pile of money. And he wanted the money that Balak was offering, so he told the king, so this is what you should do, king. I, I can't curse him. Just, I can only say what God told me to say. But, but this is what you should do. Okay. So have the Moabite women, have them go and seduce the men of Israel. Okay? And when they do that and they sleep with them, and then, and then have them, encourage them to, to worship the Moabite gods. Okay? Do that. And when you do that, you know, their God's going to war against them. So that's exactly what the king, uh, Balak the king did. Couldn't get Balaam to curse them, but he did get, find a way to have God fight against them. And God did fight against them, and destroyed a portion of his people for the sins they committed. Numbers 31, 16 records this. These were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and enticed the Israelites to be unfaithful to the Lord 
in the Peor incident. So a plague struck um, the Lord's people. They followed Balaam's advice. So when, when Jesus says to the church in Pergamum, there are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, that taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. So there, there's some among you who are, like Balaam, who are teaching the church to compromise. Teaching the church to involve themselves in idolatry, sexual immorality. In other words, if, if you come to the confession of your faith, you're willing to hold on to it until death. But some of you are compromising the way you live. You know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. See, idolatry is anything that we put above God's authority. It doesn't have to be carving on a shelf. It can be money or power or career, relationship, anything else that has us saying no to God so we can say yes to it. Puts it above God. You know, one of the biggest idols in our culture is, is sex. Uh, we're continually told that you can express yourself sexually any way you want as long as it's between consenting adults. Even though God's plan for sex was between one man and one woman within the covenant of marriage. You'll hear a lot of voices from outside, but also from some from inside the church that will tell you it's, it's all right to compromise. It's all right to go against what God has said and do what you want to do. But whenever you give in to the lure of idolatry, give anything into anything other than God's authority in your life, you know that whatever you give into is going to bind you up and you are going to be its prisoner. It's going to cause you to lose your freedom, lose your joy, lose your peace. When you compromise, when you give into idolatry, it hurts you and it sets you apart from God. Just a side note, I want to nuance this idea of compromise just a little. Some, some of the most ungracious, difficult people I have known would regard themselves as uncompromising. When it comes to dealing with people, much of life is the art of the compromise. You want Chinese, supper for, uh, Chinese food for supper, I want pizza, you know? Somebody generally ends up compromising, and that's okay. If you want to stay happily married, learn to compromise. Yeah, you don't have to get your way all the time, right? You know that, right? Yeah, okay, you got it. Part of learning to be gracious is learning to, be, to compromise in those things that are a matter of taste or preference or those kind of things. The kind of compromising that we're talking about in Revelation is, is your own personal integrity. You know something's wrong, you do it. Anyways. Or more accurately, you know God says it's wrong, 
and you do it anyways. You lie, cheat, steal, get into relationships you know you shouldn't be in. It's kind of compromising I'm talking about. Don't become an ungracious person under the guise of, of this. So what does Jesus advise the people in Pergamum to do? Verse 16. Repent, therefore, otherwise I, I so, will soon come to you and will fight against you with the sword of my mouth. Repent, otherwise I'm going to fight against you. It's an awful thing to have Jesus fight against his own people. Not unheard of. God opposes the proud, right? Fights against them, but gives grace to the humble. God fights against the unrepentant compromiser. What does that look like? He fights against it with the word of his mouth. He withdraws his blessing might be another way to put that. He says, you can go this far, no farther. See, the words of Jesus have the power to unmask lies and set you free from the traps of the evil one. The words of Jesus have the power to cut the, the cords and uh, that bind you, inhibit you from being all that you can be. The words of Jesus can also say, Wait a second. No, can't do that. I'm going to withdraw from you until you figure this out. Unrepentant. I'm not saying they're not Christians. Jesus doesn't say, oh, you're not going to be Christians anymore. He says, no, I'm just going to fight against you. That's a problem if you want to live the life that God has created you to live. God can't bless us the way he wants to when we buy into the lies of Satan. When we make something in our life an idol, when we, we say we know better than God and what it takes to live a full life, we, we compromise in terms of our behavior. We are buying into the lie that the immediate gratification is the, the way to real life. It's not true, and Jesus says that if you do that, I'll fight against you unless you repent. Repentance is turning away from the idol and turning and heading towards God. God, I want what you have in my life. I want, what, I, I want to come under your authority. Forgive me for putting myself under the authority of this idol, whether it be money, greed, relationship, whatever. Lord, forgive me. I head back to you. I give you my life. I'm under your authority. Verse 17, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will give that person a white stone and a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. To him who has an ear, let him hear. God is speaking to you. Don't turn away. There's a lot of speculation as to what the hidden manna is and the white stone with the new name on it is. I don't know all of what it is, but it seems obvious that Jesus is promising extra spiritual nourishment to those who triumph 
And he's talking about a special relationship, a name that only he and, and we know. I don't know where you find yourself today. Maybe you are in the place of the church in Pergamum. You love God. You die for him. You're in no danger of not confessing him. But uh, it's not showing up in the way you live. God wants to set you free from the things that bind you. In the next few moments, I, I want to invite you to confess and repent of your sin and make Jesus Lord of your life again. Let's pray together. Lord, there's a lot of things in our world that we can get into that are not from you. Lord, forgive us for when we've been there, bought into the lives of Satan. Lord, if we have idols in our lives right now, I'm asking that you bring them to our mind. Forgive us for putting anything above you. Lord, we turn to you now and say you are Lord. You have the authority in our lives. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord is going to lead us in a prayer of confession. Read along with me. Father, thank you for giving us new birth in spite of our sin and rebellion. Lord, part of us longs to be holy and sinless, but there is much in us that still cherishes our sin and clings to it. Please help us to hate our sin and run from it. As you draw us toward heaven, open our eyes and help us to see how offensive our sin is to you and how damaging it is to us. Thank you that you have begun a good work in us that nothing can stop. We give thanks for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week on Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast. Make sure to visit our website at asburyfmperth.com where you can subscribe and never miss a show. If you'd like this broadcast, you might want to check out our Facebook page. Asbury Free Methodist Church. Until next week, take care and God bless.